You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by SolarEdge. SolarEdge lets you drive your electric vehicle on solar power with the world's first two-in-one EV charging solar inverter. Run your EV on sunshine with SolarEdge. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven and also the founder and editor of Renew Economy. In this episode, we start a new series. We're going to do a series of 10 interviews, interviewing 10 different people with different perspectives of the electric vehicle transition. It's sponsored by SolarEdge, a solar company that is now moving into the electric vehicle industry, and I think that's probably a big enough sign of the transition that comes ahead, and we thank SolarEdge for their support for this uh, venture. To kick off the series, we're talking to Shane Rattenbury, the Climate Change Minister from the ACT. Shane is the only Greens Member of Parliament in all of Australia, federal or state or territory, to actually hold a ministerial office. And his role has been to complete the ACT's transition to 100% renewables. It now sources the equivalent of all its annual needs from wind and solar and battery storage. And he's now embarked on the next piece of that transition. And this is focused on transport which now, because they've got a decarbonised grid, accounts for 61% of their total emissions. So I talked to Shane Rattenbury about the Territory's electric vehicle and transport policy. Shane Rattenbury, ACT Climate Change Minister, thanks for joining the Driven Podcast. Great to be with you, Giles. Look, uh, congratulations, I think, are in order. The ACT at the start of this month um, started uh, receiving electricity from its last contracted wind farm um, in South Australia, which means to all intents and purposes, the uh, Capital Territory is now sourcing the equivalent of 100% of its electricity needs from renewable energy. It's a real milestone for the ACT. Uh, Having that last piece of infrastructure come online at Hornsdale 3 has obviously been some years in the preparation, but it does get us to the point now where all of those contracts are in place that will give us enough energy to match our full usage here in the ACT. And so this is part of a broader strategy to reach zero emissions. Now, I mm. think through through this renewable energy target, you've been able to reduce emissions or you will, it will have achieved a reduction of about 40% of the ACT's emissions. Is that right? Yeah, and I think that's an interesting lesson in how to put policy together. Back in 2010, the ACT legislated to have a 40% reduction target by 2020. And that's what actually set us on the path to finding... You know, how, how would we get there? And that's where the 100% renewable electricity target came from. We will achieve that 40% reduction uh, for 2020. And so now we start to look forward as to what's next in terms of how do we get to that zero emission position by 2045. But also we have a series of interim targets in 2025, 2030 and 2040. And I think those interim targets are really important so that we can measure ourselves, make sure we're on track and not just suddenly in 2044 realise that we're not going to make it. And because you've now taken the carbon out of the electricity grid, um, the biggest contributor to the territory's emissions is transport, 61%, I understand. So I guess that's got to be the major focus. And I presume it's all about electrification, or there may may be some um, hydrogen involved as well. Can you run us through broadly what it is that you've got planned? Yeah, we've just released our new climate action plan through to 2025. And as you rightly identify with electricity now coming from 
renewable sources, transport becomes 60 plus percent of our emissions. So it is the single biggest contributor. Gas comes after that at around 22%. So between them, they are the vast bulk of our emissions. And the strategy is focused a lot around those two places. For the ACT, around 95% of those emissions come from private motor vehicle use. As you and your listeners would know, we're not a big industrial city. We don't have these other sources. It really is just Canberrans going about their day-to-day lives, getting to work, going to social events, getting the kids to school, all of those very practical things. So that's very much where we need to focus our efforts. Electrification, I think, will be a part of it, but I don't think it can be solely it because, of course, we have other objectives. We have health and wellbeing objectives. We have congestion issues. Uh, So there's also a focus on active travel, basically increasing walking and cycling for people and continuing to improve our public transport network. No, that's a that's a that's a good idea, and I, I think that's often forgotten when we sort of talk about sort of you know let's let's dump our ice vehicles, the internal combustion engines, and hop into an electric car. Um, there's other things that we need to do too, and as you rightly point out, encourage pedestrians, encourage cycling, encourage um, um, public transport, and not enough is put into that. But let's do talk about the electrification of transport at the moment. So mm. you say that ninety five percent of transport is public vehicles. Um, that leaves five percent in. <laughs> so, so what's the government doing with its own fleet because I guess that's where you're presumably you're trying to set an example and I think you've got quite ambitious targets in the rate that you will take up electric vehicles as far as your leases go. Yeah that's right we put together a transition to zero emission vehicles action plan about 18 months ago and one of the key things in that was a commitment to turn the government fleet over to be uh, zero emission vehicles and we are specific in our language there you'll appreciate the subtlety Uh, we're not simply saying electric vehicles. We are also leaving the space open for hydrogen vehicles. Uh, I'm very conscious that I don't think that technological debate is fully settled yet, and we will see different applications in different environments. Uh, it also actually includes electric bikes. We see those as an interesting part of the transport solution for some people who may not consider themselves fit enough to cycle, uh, but um, you know, an electric bike can help bridge that gap. But certainly in terms of the government vehicle fleet, We've got a commitment to transition that over a three-year period to be 100% zero-emission vehicles. The rationale behind that, of course, is that the government fleet is on a three-year lease cycle. And so we're now in a position where as each vehicle is coming out of its leasing cycle and being replaced, we've put an expectation on our government agencies that they'll replace it with with a ZEV with the ZEV. It's interesting. Three-year um, leasing cycle. I've heard, um, I think, at the Driven um, Electric Vehicle Transition Conference a couple of months ago where you um, spoke, and we're, we're grateful for that, a presentation from ClimateWorks was talking about leases and electric vehicles actually competing with leases. Now, I think they might have been on a four- or five-year time scale. Do you think it works out on a three-year time scale as well? No, that's a really interesting point. We are adjusting. We've historically been on a three-year lease cycle, and that's why our plan is a three-year plan because – the vehicles we've had are in that cycle. Uh, but look, it's actually what's really exciting is the economics are proving to be very cost-effective for ACT government, provided we tweak the leases to four years. There is, of course, a slightly higher upfront cost at this point on the electric vehicles, uh, but our experience so far is we've seen an 80% reduction in running costs compared to the petri- petrol vehicles we were previously operating. And so uh, the advice coming back from our agencies who are on the ground doing this is, they think it is cost-effective, cost-neutral over a four-year lease cycle. So we are adjusting our cycle slightly. Mm. And can you tell us what sort of cars you've been using and what sort of cars you do plan to use? Yes, yeah, so we've um, had some Nissan Leafs in the fleet for a little while. 
but we are bringing more of those in and we are also using the Hyundai Ionics, the relatively new vehicle in the fleet. They've obviously, as people would know, come out at a price point well below some of the other vehicles we've seen in the market. And uh, you know, with their range of around 220, 230Ks, they serve the purpose that many of our public service servants need. For example, some of our community nurses have been the first ones to take them up. They do about 100 to 150 k's a day, driving around to their various clients, um, and you know they're spread across the city. The vehicles serve that purpose perfectly, and I think for me one of the really interesting parts of the story is the nurses turn up and the, the clients don't hear them coming because the vehicles are so quiet. And so it's <laughs> provoking all these conversations as well. People are saying, oh, I didn't hear you. And they're like, well, that's because I'm driving the new EV. And it's sparking all these conversations about electric vehicles, which plays a really interesting public education role as well. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Okay, so the government fleet, um, you're in control of that and you can um, you can shift mm. that to zero vehicles relatively quickly, yeah, particularly if you've only got a three-year leasing cycle. How then do you mm. bring the rest, the other 95% or some of the other sort of private fleet owners, how do you bring them over to electric? Look, that is a trickier question. Part of our strategy with the government fleet is that we will create reasonably quickly a bit of a pool of second-hand vehicles and uh, there is obviously not many second-hand electric vehicles in Australia at the moment, so that'll be, that'll be part of it. Uh, the ACT at the moment has the most generous, uh, I guess, subsidies in Australia in the sense that an electric vehicle here will pay zero stamp duty and they get a 20% annual discount on their registration. So that is an incentive that's there. But I think that what will drive it much faster than the things we can do will be forces beyond the size of the ACT. Uh, the rollout of new models by the makers, the reduction in price uh, and increasing availability in the Australian market. The things we've tried to put in place have been partly about driving that. You know, just our vehicle fleet is around five to 600 vehicles and that in the context of the size of Australia's electric vehicle market is you know, a sizable one at the moment and it's certainly attracted the interest of some of the suppliers which has given them more confidence to bring more vehicles into Australia. So they're things that we can do. Other measures we're putting in place are about enabling our community to be able to take up electric vehicles. For example, uh, we will change the planning rules here to mandate that when new multi-apartment buildings are being built, the electrical infrastructure must be put in the basement car park at the beginning so that when people get electric vehicles, they can charge them. At the moment, it's obviously very expensive to retrofit all the electrical capabilities through the basement if it's not there. And you may well have to battle a body corporate, which can be a nightmare in itself. So... Uh, I think putting those kind of enabling rules in place are the sort of things that we as a smaller jurisdiction and with also the local planning rules under our control can make a difference on. Mm. Are you getting any pushback at all from the um, from the development community, building developers, or are they um, embracing this? We've, I've not heard any so far, and I think the interesting part of it is the marginal cost of doing this when you're putting the building together is is almost zero. You know, it's, it's no extra. There's obviously a bit of extra design and effort, but it doesn't really add to the cost of the building, which is why it makes sense to do it up front. Mm. Give us some insight then into what the other states um, are talking about. I mean, I know there hasn't been a, a meeting of the COAG energy ministers for almost a year now, and uh, that's probably another topic for another time. Um, so, probably, so that is a sore point, yes. Yes, it is a sore point, and it's, and, and it's a bit of a shame too because there's so much to discuss at state energy minister level and um, and with the feds as well. But when you're having discussions, and I presume you do have meetings with the, your, and, and telephone calls with your, um, your state colleagues, um, what do you sense um, is their thinking about electricity? vehicles and where we could or should be going 
Look, to be honest, I haven't had a lot of feedback from the other jurisdictions on this. The one thing we are really trying to do is encourage them to replicate the model we've been able to do with our fleet company. Uh, what I've the feedback I've had from many of the car makers is that uh, our fleet company they've been trying to push them to take up electric vehicles for a number of years, and they'd sort of been cool about it. And then once the ACT government indicated we wanted to have these vehicles come in our fleet, the fleet provider was suddenly on the phone to the car makers saying, hey, I need some electric vehicles, what have you got for me? And so I think we're trying to share some of this experience with other jurisdictions to sort of, I guess, demonstrate some of the things that have had a positive trigger effect in terms of moving the market forward. Mm. I'd like to get, you mentioned electric bikes before, and I'd like to get back to that. Um, I'm not an invalid, mm. and I can ride bicycles, but I don't like riding them uphill very much. And I did get a ride in <laughs> Sydney on an electric bike, and it was just fantastic. And basically, it gives you the option if you're feeling lazy, you can just go electric. And if you're feeling like you don't want a bit of fitness, then you can switch it off and um, and pedal like mad up the hill. So, what are you planning in the way of incentives and encouragement? Yeah, you look, your personal introduction is a great example of the difference. It can make it. It means that you don't have to be a super athlete to ride to work. You can ride in your work clothes if you want to because you don't have to. You can do no sweat cycling, as I like to call it. <laughs> I used to have someone who, I used to have someone who worked in my office. She was a mother of two, mid forties. She wasn't as fit as she used to be because she'd been busy with the kids, but she really loved cycling. But she lived fifteen k's from work, and she really struggled to get around to riding. But as soon as she got an electric bike, she was suddenly doing it every day because, as you described, if she was tired. She could just kick the electric on. It just gave her that – it bridged that gap between where her fitness was and where she wanted to get to, and I think it was a great example. In terms of driving it forward, we're having a bit of a think about that at the moment. One thing we have done is that we have made electric bikes, uh, included them in the salary sacrifice scheme for our ACT public servants. So it, that is one way of helping make it more affordable for them is that they can go through that salary sacrifice program. Oh, an indication We've of also how- got – Sorry, any, any, any Sorry. indication of how many people have taken that up? I don't have that data off the top of my head. The other thing we have done, though, is that we've bought a number of electric bikes for our ACT government departments that are sort of share bikes within the agencies. We've got about a dozen of those, and quite a few of our public servants use those to get to meetings. The ACT government uh, headquarters or the assembly buildings in the centre of the city and a number of our departments are you know, only three or four k's away. Uh, and so people are using electric bikes to get between agencies and get down to the assembly and those sort of things. Have you thought about encouraging um, um, uh, rental uh, car rental companies to go electric Canberra Airport or other places? That might be a, a wonderful introduction to the um, to the parliamentarians, although I think they've probably all got comp cars anyway. But <laughs> the thing I'd love to do is to get the federal government, who has the same fleet provider we do, we're all in a contract together because we're all based here in Canberra, is there is no reason why they could now not start accessing electric vehicles just as we are uh, through that fleet arrangement. And, uh, you know, the Commonwealth is obviously a, a much bigger, uh, I guess, user of vehicles than we are. They're just a bigger government. And so there's a real opportunity there. I'd love to see the Comcar fleet running as electric vehicles. I I like the fact that... Have you suggested that to them? <laughs> I, I suggested it to the former minister, Josh Frydenberg. I'm trying to work out which is the right minister under the new arrangements. I'll certainly mention it to Angus Taylor at uh, COAG in a few weeks' time. <laughs> and what was the response from uh, Josh Frydenberg? Oh, at the time, he was very focused on getting the neg through, and he's like, yeah, that's an interesting idea, but about the neg. Uh, so the conversation didn't go super far. It was friendly enough. It just He was pretty focused on other things. But uh, yeah. you know, one of the things about getting to 100% renewable electricity is despite the politics in federal parliament, 
uh, that building will now be 100% powered by renewable electricity. And I think there's a delicious irony there for some members of the federal parliament. I'd like to get back to COAG maybe briefly before the end of this um, interview, but um, let's touch on hydrogen first because you did mention hydrogen. You thought the debate was still out there. Now, mm, under mm, the mm. last auction, I think there was a fairly sizable hydrogen component to it, and basically what you did was invite the tenderers or the winners to set up some hydrogen um, facilities in, in, in the ACT, and um, one of those is an electrolyzer to to provide yep. um, to provide renewable hydrogen and, and presumably sort of provide the fuel for these cars. So tell us more about what, uh, what your thinking is there. Hey, look, that work is now well underway. The electrolyzer is being built in uh, Fishwick, which is a suburb about 6Ks from the CBD, and the ACT government is due to take delivery of 20 uh, Hyundai vehicles, either late this year or early next, uh, which will go into our government fleet and will, be, uh, will run on hydrogen fuel cells. So uh, that'll be really interesting for us to bring those vehicles into our fleet and sort of have that live rollout of them uh, and to have a, a fueling station that is publicly available for anybody else in Canberra that chooses to go down the hydrogen path. My observation around the debate being unsettled is, you know, I ask people their views on where hydrogen versus electric vehicles are going and I think the best piece of advice I have is people's sense is that if it's a petrol vehicle at the moment, it'll be replaced by an electric vehicle. And if it's a diesel vehicle, it'll be replaced by hydrogen. That's my sense of where the discussion is going, but I'm sure there are people with different views on that. Yeah, no, that's an interesting one, which takes us to sort of the larger forms of transport. And I guess you're thinking about buses and trucks and things like that and, mm. um, you know, rubbish, rubbish trucks and things like that. Um, any plans on those lines? Yeah, look, interestingly, when we framed our EV policy for the ACT government, uh, we did have sort of have a caveat in it of we're fit for purpose. You know, we don't expect our park rangers to go out into remote areas in, in EVs at this point, given range issues. But, you know, I think in setting this policy, it has got our agencies thinking, and we have just formed a partnership with Rosenbauer, who are an Austrian maker of fire trucks. And we've just uh, signed a, an agreement with them to develop the Southern Hemisphere's first electric fire truck. Uh, it will be a vehicle that will have an electric drivetrain, uh, my understanding is the design is to have a diesel backup engine on board given the emergency status of the vehicle, but it will, uh, unless needed, will run on an electric drivetrain the whole time. So that's very exciting for us to bring that into our emergency vehicle fleet. Mm, I'm sure they'll appreciate the acceleration in an emergency if, if needed, but um, um, it's interesting. Um, just um, just uh, touching on um, y y all these things, um, have, have you gone electric in, in any way in, in, in your personal transport um, needs? I'm actually on a, a hybrid. I've had the Prius hybrid since 2008, uh, so I sort of continue to run at that at this stage, but I know my next car will be an electric vehicle. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I th and I think a lot of people are thinking that way. Um, it's interesting. Two thousand and eight. That's about the time I had my um, mm, my little yeah. Peugeot, and um, it was my intention for many years that um, I keep it for as long as I could, and then I go electric. And I think there's a lot of people out there thinking the same way, and I think that points to the declining sales in petrol and diesel cars, particularly the passenger market. But look, um, just before we go, let's just touch on the um, the Coag Energy Ministers meeting. We're finally going to have one. It's going to mm. be in Perth next week. What are you? hoping comes out of that it's actually on the 22nd of november over in perth uh for me the agenda is well it's unclear at this stage the commonwealth will set the agenda my urgings to the federal minister are that we need a really action focused agenda there is a lot of practical things that we need to get done uh, that 
have been held up by the fact that there's not been a Coag Energy Council for what will be 12 months by the time we get to Perth. Uh, there are a range of things under AEMO's uh, ISP uh, that we need to get on with. There are rule changes that are being brought forward to us by the Energy Security Board. Uh, there is plenty of practical work that needs to be done, and for me that is about creating the grid of the future. We know that you know, renewables are going to be part of the, the grid. They're going to be they are the cheapest new form of energy, and so we need to build a grid that can deal with intermittent power supply. That's where we need to be focused, uh, and I'm hoping that the Federal Minister will come very practically focused and not trying to simply walk in the room and tell us that we have to continue to prop up coal-fired power stations. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that um, turns out. Shane Brattenbury, Shane Rattenbury, sorry, thank you very much for joining The Driven Podcast. Great to talk to you, Giles. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by SolarEdge. SolarEdge EV chargers combine solar energy and grid power to charge your electric vehicle up to four times faster than a standard wall charger. Whether you own an EV now or want to be EV ready, future-proof your home with SolarEdge. Visit solaredge.com slash AUS and drive your solar further.